Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would speak your word to us. That we would hear your word and it would bear fruit in our lives. All to your honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Kids, if you haven't already, I invite you to head to the back, out those doors to your class. And as you're being seated, if you would turn with me to Luke 15, page 874 in the Red Bibles in front of you. Luke 15. There was a man who had two sons. This is how Jesus begins his third parable in Luke 15. The parable, uh, we begin chapter 15 with the parable of the lost sheep, then the parable of the lost coin, and now the parable of the two lost sons, which we typically call the parable of the prodigal son, focusing on that one. This is the culmination of Jesus' response to the the scribes and the Pharisees back in verse 2. The religious leaders grumbled, saying, Jesus receives sinners and eats with them. By the way, I'll just tell you that is probably one of the best things you could have on your tombstone. He received sinners and ate with them. But these religious leaders mean it as anything but a compliment. Jesus cannot be from God. He cannot be a righteous man because he welcomes those people. Good people hang out with good people. Good people like us do not receive them. And in response to that criticism, Jesus tells the parables of Luke 15, culminating in our reading this morning. A man had two sons. And as we move into the parable, we should note from the beginning that the father in the parable clearly represents God. And God's sons are church people, God's people. The parable is about those who are a part of God's people, church people, but are still in some way lost. Now, by extension, I would say that this applies to all people who repent and turn to Jesus in faith. But the specific context is about Christians who go wrong in one of two significant ways. We tend to either get lost in the way of the younger son who runs away, rebels, gets into wild living. Or the way of the older son who does all the right things, but his heart is still equally far from the father. So in this season of Lent, when we are called upon to address our own sin and the the sin in our own hearts and our lives, we're going to look this morning at these two boys, these two sons in this famous parable. So first, the younger son. Look with me at verse 11. And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, Give me the share of my property that's coming to me. And the father divided his property between his sons. The younger son then proceeds, I'm paraphrasing the next part of this. The younger son then proceeds to take his inheritance, go off into foreign Gentile land, waste his inheritance until he's totally destitute. A biblical scholar who's actually a part of our denomination named Kenneth Bailey spent decades ministering in the Middle East. 
And one of the things that he did, both as a way to share the gospel, but also to do some of his research, he would go around to various tribal groups in the Middle East, and he would read Jesus' teachings to them, as I said, both as a way to share the gospel with them, but also to, to see what insights those people would have into Jesus' message. Because in many ways, Middle Eastern tribal groups are the closest in our world today to the culture of Jesus back then. So he would read that, and, and uh, he's written books about some of the insights that he's gained in doing that. And at this parable, the parable of the prodigal son, the parable of the two lost sons, <clears throat> Bailey has asked hundreds of people over the years the same questions about this parable, and they always have the exact same answers. Bailey would ask, has anyone ever done this, asked for his inheritance like this? Has anyone ever done that? Never. What would happen if a son did this? His father would be angry and would refuse. Why? Because the son's request means that he wants his father to die. What this meant was, Dad, I wish you were dead. Let me have my inheritance, you worthless old geezer. And the father grants his son's completely absurd request. See, God is the father in the parable, and God has given us free will. He's given us the ability to choose, even to choose death instead of life. And many of us who grew up in the church are baptized into the faith, are raised to know Jesus, turn away like the younger son. Some chafe under our misunderstandings of God. And if we're chafing, chafing under them, they are, in fact, misunderstandings of God. But we hate our misunderstandings of God so much that we want nothing to do with Him, and so we run away claiming to finally be free of the oppression of religion. But as the son comes to the end of himself, he realized that the only place he had to turn was back to the father that he had rejected. No one else was going to provide for him. No one else was going to accept him. He had burned every bridge there was. And his only hope was to turn back to his father in the desperation that his father might let him work off his debt as a servant, no longer as a son. And so verse 20, he arose. With that in mind, he arose and went back to his father. Now here's what's supposed to happen. This is what's supposed to happen. The son comes from the faraway land. The son comes home in shame. And the villagers in the town see him coming. Small town, everybody knows what happened. Everybody knows this guy. They know his story. As he approaches, everybody mocks him mercilessly. And he is then forced to sit in his shame outside of his father's house for all to see. And he has to wait in his public shame with everyone staring at him, wearing his tattered clothes, listening to the jeers of the villagers. That's what we would expect to happen. And then eventually, only if he wants to, and it could be days, the father could just send a servant to say, send him away. But eventually, the father, if he would like to, can come out to the son, 
and then can decide either to send him away, you're no longer a son, get out of here, or could decide what punishment he must endure and what, if anything, he can do to repay the debt and uh, restore the honor to the family. That's what's supposed to happen. Let me tell you what is not supposed to happen. Verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. No working off his debt. No making him sit in shame. No lost status as a son. The father runs and welcomes his son home. In fact, a father of that stature in that culture would never run under any circumstances at all. When the father runs, this is one of the things that the Middle Eastern tribal people pick up. When the father runs, he would actually become the recipient of all the shameful jeers of the villagers. The son returning would be shameful, and then the father running to welcome him would become its own scandal. See, the father goes so far as to take the shame upon himself so that his son doesn't have to receive it as he enters the town. The father takes upon himself the shame that the son deserves. And the father welcomes him back with extravagant and amazing grace because my son is home. Friends, as a Christian, you are a son or a daughter of God. You are always welcome back, no matter what. But then we come to the older son. Now some of us will identify more with the younger son, wild and rebellious and turned away from God and either needed to previously or need to now turn back to God and receive his amazing grace. But others of us may identify much more with the older brother, people who did everything right, who have been obedient and faithful, and yet our hearts are still far from God. If I'm honest with myself, I am much closer to the religious leaders who carefully did all the right things, but then actually criticized Jesus for his grace towards others. I mean, look at me. I am a religious leader. I've followed Jesus my whole life. And if I'm not careful, I can become like those who actually rejected Jesus because of his loving forgiveness towards others. You see, this parable is not originally spoken to people like the younger son. Jesus tells this parable to people who are acting like the older brother in the parable. The scribes and the Pharisees, remember back in verse 2, the scribes and the Pharisees are people who, like the older brother in verse 28, are not happy when people who didn't live the right way like I did are welcomed back. We're not equal. I did all the right things. Where's my party? 
And Jesus tells this parable to call out those of us who have that attitude toward God and toward others. Angry with God for not rewarding us sufficiently for our good works and looking down our noses at others who didn't live as well as we did. See, the older brother is lost too. His heart is hardened towards God, and he does not want to welcome a sinner like his brother back into the family because he's not one of us. He doesn't belong here. I want to tell you a true story about the sort of radical inclusion that should characterize the church, but the older brother in the story doesn't want to have anything to do with. There was a man named Tony who was a professor at my college. And he tells of his experience in Honolulu in a diner at 3.30 in the morning. So he was from the East Coast, and he was in travel to Honolulu as a speaker. And so being on East Coast time, now in Hawaii, he was wide awake at 3 a.m. And at 3 a.m., he was hungry, and you can only lie in bed so long wide awake. So he got up and went out to find something to eat. And the only thing open that he could find was a small, dingy diner down the street from his hotel. He describes it as one of those places where the plastic menu is so dirty and greasy that you just don't want to touch it. You certainly don't open it, lest something extraterrestrial come out and get you. There were no booths in this place. It was just a small counter with chairs. And so he sat down and started talking with the owner and ordered something without touching the menu. And after a few moments, in walk uh, a few prostitutes that sit down at the counter around Tony. It's a small counter. He was in the middle, so they're sort of around him. And in their conversation, because they were obviously not troubled by him being there, they were just talking over him and around him. And in the conversation, Tony heard that the next day was one of the women's birthday and that she had never in her life had a birthday party. And so when the women left, Tony asked the owner if they come in often. And he discovers that they do, in fact, come in just about every morning at about 3 a.m. And so Tony, being Tony, asked the owner if he could throw a birthday party for that woman the next day, named Agnes, right there in the diner. And so he did. Tony went to probably local Walmart and bought everything in the local decoration, in the decoration aisle. And he hung streamers, and there was cake and candles. And apparently word got around, because Tony would say this with a big, giant grin on his face, that just about every prostitute in Honolulu came, and he's described it, it was just wall-to-wall -wall prostitutes and me. <laughs> and then in walks Agnes. And everyone shouts, Happy Birthday, Agnes! And applauds. And she breaks down in tears. And when the cake appears, she is so moved that she doesn't even want to cut into it. And so what she does is actually she's so excited about this, she takes the cake and leaves because she wants to show it to her mom. And now there's this awkward moment in the diner because the person of honor has just left with the birthday cake. 
And so Tony breaks the now awkward silence by saying, uh, maybe we could say a prayer for Agnes? And so Tony leads the group in a prayer. And after the prayer, the owner comes up to Tony and pokes him in the chest and says, Tony, you said you were a sociologist. That's what Tony taught. You said you were a sociologist, but I can tell you're a preacher. What church are you a part of? And in one of those moments when you say exactly the right words, Tony said, oh, I'm a part of the church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. <laughs> and the owner said, nah, no you're not. There ain't no church like that. I'd belong to a church like that. But don't you see, that's the kind of church that the older brother is being invited into. The community, the church, that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. The church that welcomes the dead who are raised to new life in Christ with parties and amazing grace. The church that truly believes and puts into practice what the Bible says, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he's invited in to throw a welcome home party for someone who does not deserve it at all. To display the over-the-top radical grace of God to his brother who has come home. But he doesn't want to have anything to do with that. Because his brother is too dirty and shameful and too lost to be welcomed home. So he instead stays outside, refusing to come in and join the party. And so his father actually comes out to him, too. See, the older brother refusing to go in was a significant insult to the father. The older brother in the story is looking down on God himself for being too welcoming and not being as pure as he is. And when insulted like that, no father in that culture would go out to his son. He would send someone out to get the son and force him to come in. But the father leaves his guests to come out to meet the older son as well. The father meets the younger son and welcomes him back, and he's ready to go out to the older son as well. All of God's children are always welcome. The older son is angry that the father has welcomed someone who didn't deserve it. He's angry that the woman in Honolulu got a party and he didn't. And his heart is so hard toward God and toward his brother that he can't even enjoy the fact that his brother has repented and come home. Remember our reading in 2 Corinthians 5 today says that we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. We implore you, be reconciled to God. That's what we're called to do, to call people to be reconciled to God. The older brother doesn't want people to be reconciled. He wants them to get what they deserve, not the extravagant grace of God. But God welcomes all who come to him in faith. Those who have wild pasts and those who have very tame ones. 
God shows his amazing grace to the younger son, bearing his shame, running to him, welcoming him home despite all that he has done. And God shows amazing grace to the older son as well, bearing his shame by leaving the party and coming to him too. Offering to be in relationship with the older son, not as a master to a servant the way the son thought, but as a loving father to a beloved son. So wherever you are, wherever you are with your tendencies to be the older son or the tendencies to be the younger son, in this season of Lent, we are all called to face our sin. And as we look honestly at our lives, we may find the sins of disobedience, like the younger son. Or we may find the sins of obedience with a hardened heart, like the older son. But either way, we have a Father who comes to us. A God who bears our shame on the cross and raises us to new life in Christ. In Christ, you are welcome. In Christ, you are loved. In Christ, you are a son or a daughter of God. Forgiven. Received. Welcomed. Beloved. Amen. Amen.